So first question I have for you is, you know, for people who may not know who you are, you know, where are you from and, you know, what's your story? How were you brought up? Um, man, that's funny. Uh, I first have to put out there, Tay, mm-hmm. to the world that despite you being the, the woman's Gatorade player of the year, I beat Taylor Brown in one-on-one basketball. I was going to bring that up. As she was transitioning, I want the world to know this because I also beat Marcus Thornton when we were eighth grade, but he won't admit that to anybody. So this is me putting it on record. <laughs> For those that may not know me, uh, my name is Darius Baxter. Um, born and raised here in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, came up through uh, Maryland schools, um, went to McNamara with you. Um, we actually transitioned to Georgetown again. Yeah. Um, after Georgetown, linked up with two of my buddies that I played football with there, mm-hmm. um, and we decided to start a social impact collective. Um, what does that mean? Uh, we have a combination of for-profit and non-profit companies, all with the ultimate goal of transitioning 500 families out of poverty over the next 10 years. Um, and we're doing that in a variety of different ways uh, through physical investments in the infrastructure, into like buildings and roads, um, investing in entrepreneurs. Um, but I think the thing that we get celebrated for the most is what we do um, as far as just supporting families. Uh, so we provide a suite of services from mentorship to um, helping people find housing to people being able to come out to uh, our food drives that we do over the holiday season. Mm-hmm. Um, we do summer camps. We send kids. Last year we sent 150 kids to camp um, for eight weeks, no cost to their parents. Um, I don't know. We do Saturday programs. We do kind of a plethora of things out of here. Yeah. Just try to stay busy. Oh, that's awesome. So I want to go back to high school. And I know you brought up that you beat me one-on-one. I remember that. Are you admitting it? Are you admitting that that happened? But I think I was wearing my school shoes. Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't want to hear that. Oh, no. Oh, no. But I, I do remember that. So, um, but, um. You know, since you're very passionate about basketball, I wanted to ask you, why Why football? You know, why did you choose that sport? Man, it's crazy. Even at a young age, I have always, uh, I started breaking down early with sports. Uh, my knees were just terrible, even in high school. Um, and it was something about running up and down the court in basketball that just put a lot of stress on my body um, that even though there was that stress in football, it was a, a little bit softer surface. So I found myself over time starting to put more effort and time into getting better at football. Uh, and by the time you get to high school, is really where you have to try to, you, unless you're an elite athlete, like let's say a Brandon Coleman, who I know you interviewed, mm-hmm. you have to really start focusing on, okay, what do I want to get better at? Right. Uh, and I saw football as that avenue for me. And then um, I remember we went to Georgetown together, so McMahon and Georgetown. Yeah. Um, and then you know just to you know get a little you know just real you know I I love and then I remember you know we would still like support each other like you came to my yeah. games and I would come remember back. I le- I left too not I voluntarily know, but <laughs> I know I, I wanted to ask you that like because yeah. I remember you saying man like. I don't even want to, like, I don't want to be here. Like, yeah, I want to yeah. leave. And then I was like, no, nah, man, like, 
stick it out, like you're fine. Like what was going on? Like what happened? Um, and that's that time in your life and that, you know, that transition um, when, you know, when you love. And I mean, I know it wasn't by choice and then yeah. it came back. Yeah, no, when, I, when we both first started at Georgetown, I think we were kind of going through the same things. Like at a point, I, despite we went to a private high school, yeah. um, i say it was fairly diverse, yeah. at least from what I knew growing up. But then you transition into a school like Georgetown, like they say the term PWI, like predominantly white institution, but you know, that was a whole different beast. Yeah. You not only had um, an overwhelming number of students um, that were uh, not black, I think we had like 4% black kids at that time when we went there. Mm-hmm. Um, you had people coming from such a high level of affluence that it was literally, despite us being only a few miles away from where we grew up, it felt like a whole different world. Um, so here I am coming out of um, PG County. Here I am coming out of Southeast. And now I'm thrust into this environment where I thought I was ready for it. You know, both of us did pretty well in high school academically. Um, we never found ourselves in too much trouble. Yeah. And it's like, damn, like, yeah. it's a whole new world. Things that were normalized for me in high school are being deemed as like these atrocities now that I'm in college and I wasn't able to necessarily adapt um, or even wanted to adapt. I was like, this is who I am. This is right. this is how I've survived this long. You can tell me like, right, what right. do you mean I shouldn't wear this or right. I need to talk a certain way or I'm being too loud. Like, what do you mean? Like all these things. Um, and I found myself getting into a lot of trouble um, my freshman year in many ways because I, I had this coach and I'll never forget, it was the first day, like the first day of uh, summer uh, practice mm. before school starts. Yeah. And me and one of the older guys, um, I catch the ball, an older linebacker, senior guy comes down here, and this is a walkthroughs, mm. and just like lays into me. And I get up, I'm like, man, what the hell? Like, right. you know, like this walkthroughs. And the coach is like, Pastor, get out of practice. So I'm like, the hell? Yeah. So, and I get out of practice, I'm like, cool. And I wait after practice and I talk to him. And I'm like, Coach, uh, Coach Diaz, I'll never forget this. I was like, Coach, what's uh what's up? What's up? Like, what was that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was like, I saw the look in your eye. I was like, What are you talking about? And he I was like, I saw the look in your eye. He was like, I saw the look in your eye, you were gonna fight him. It's like I was gonna fight him. It's football, like yeah. like he was like, nah, like I know where you're from. Like, you Darius the kid. Like, we got out of PG County. Like, I know when you had that look, like, you was going to fight him. And he just walks off. Like, that was something normal to say to her. At that time, I'm 17 years old. Right, right. And, like, and I can look at it now and see, like, as a kid, I started to internalize some of those beliefs that a Coach Diaz, or I felt like the environment that I was in had about me. Like, that I was just this thug kid out of Forestville, Maryland, that they recruited from the school with the barbed wires around it, you know, like, and in many ways, I started being that kid, Mm. like, you know, I very quickly um, at Georgetown, never had drank ever in high school, Mm. very quickly got into alcohol, Mm. never smoked, ever, Mm. very quickly started smoking weed, Mm. started having sex like a racehorse, like, all these different things, like, to cope with the depression that I realized, that I can realize now that I had, but back then, like, it was just like, yeah. oh, I'm just not happy. Right. And now nah, I was depressed. Uh-huh. And the environment, um, and, and nothing, again, I think that the universities are getting better. Yeah. 
But a school like Georgetown wasn't prepared for a kid like me to transition there or to provide the supports that I needed as a 17-year-old to be able to transition into that type of environment. Right. Wow. Yeah, so that's crazy. I mean, I definitely can relate to that, you know, for myself. And, you know, even one of the reasons why I was leaving this hard in college, you know, trying to, like, find yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, after college, um, so you end up graduating from Georgetown. And yeah. And I remember. By the grace of God, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I remember we were talking, and you, then you get into grad school. And yeah. at the same time, you were doing this. Yeah. And. I remember I asked you because I was like going through the same thing with ball. Like, should I go to grad school or should I go overseas? And it was just like, you know, you got to follow your passion, your dreams. Yeah. Like, is this like what you're doing? Um, you know, good projects and good part. Is this your passion? Like, what made you decide that? Well, I think that's, that's a good question, T. Uh, I find myself battling this all the time in the communities that I work in, right? A lot of the kids that we deal with. Mm-hmm. Like the reason they find themselves going into pathways of criminal behavior mm-hmm. is because the people before them went down pathways of criminal behavior. Mm-hmm. My father was a shooter, so I became a shooter. Mm-hmm. Like my uncle sold drugs, so that's how I feel like the pathway I gotta follow to make a living for myself. Right. Like I've been blessed to have great role models and great examples in my life, despite what we may not have had uh, money wise. Right. Like, my mother is still a teacher. Like, my father was a Metropolitan Police Department officer. Like, my grandmother has been serving in the church as long as I've been born. My grandfather drove a bus. My aunts Mm -hmm. are social workers. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, it's all of these. My uncle was a firefighter. Like, I have a, like, my entire family has always set an example for me of what it means to live a life of service. Mm. So as I started going through college, it wasn't, all right, um, am I going to be a Wall Street guy? Am I going to go do tech? It was, okay, what am I going to do in service? (laughs) Am I going to be a teacher? Am I going to be, golly, am I going to be a philanthropist? Am I going to go to the Peace Corps, like, right. it was all stuff. Those were, yeah. like, my choices. And they weren't ones that were forced. It was just, that was the example that had always been set for me. Right, right. Makes sense. I think the difference for me, and I think our generation is, I was thinking about it differently. Uh-huh. Just watching my mother struggle, like, I see her give 30 years of her life as an educator, and then she would go home, she would go to school, give everything she had, and then, she'd come home and sometimes our lights wouldn't be on, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's it's very telling of the space that I work in. Mm-hmm. It's like you have so many people like my mother who are giving their all, giving their heart, mm-hmm. giving their last to the young people and the families that they support. Yeah. And society hasn't necessarily repaid them for that. So I wanted to come into this space with a different mindset saying that I'm going to do my best. I'm going to give my heart. Um, I'm going to do good, but... I got to do well, too. Right, right, right. Like, I want to be a millionaire. Yeah. But I want to be a millionaire on the back of being able to provide service to others, mm-hmm. being able to end some of these issues that have persisted in our community. Mm-hmm. And it's possible. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're looking at here at, at Good is, like, how do we create that model so the young people coming out of a Georgetown, coming out of a Harvard, coming out of a Bethune-Cookman or mm-hmm. FAMU, right. 
Like, don't think of, oh, you want me to go work in a, do some community work? Like, oh, it's no money in that. But for them to be able to look at what we're doing here in D.C. and be like, damn, like, yeah. I really, like, I can see myself doing it and I can see how they made it make sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, you guys definitely started something completely different, like a movement. Yeah. For sure. I appreciate and, that. Yeah. And um, I wanted to ask you, because, you know, I read about your story, and I, I love how you're open about it and very, you know, yeah. um, sharing your story, very vulnerable about it. Um, you know, yeah. when you, you say you grew up, you were homeless, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially um, you want to talk about, like, what happened to your, your dad, um, and you lost your dad as a young child. And I like how you study women and gender studies, mm-hmm. and you minor in globalization and poverty, mm-hmm. how you put those two together, and it correlates to your life. Um, sure. So you just... You know, I just want to talk about that, like just how. I mean, that's just a beautiful, like you know, message. I think how you how you went about that approach. Uh, with the like what I studied in college. Yeah, and then like you know your lifestyle, you know your childhood, how it kind of like correlates. No, hundred percent. Um, I think just working backwards, mm-hmm. like I'll never forget, like my freshman year, again going through the transition anxiety, mm-hmm. pressure, all these things, and I call my mother. It's like the first semester. I'm like, mom, like. This ain't it. <laughs> I'm telling you, this ain't it. Yeah. And I'll never forget what she told me. And this is coming from a teacher, by the way. She was like, look, you're not coming home. I'm paraphrasing. She's like, you're not coming home. And I'm not paraphrasing this part. Right. She was like, you better get through there yeah. because C's get degrees. This is what my mother told me. I'll never forget that. She said, C's get degrees. Right. What she was saying at that moment is you better get that piece of paper. I don't care how you got to do it. Right, <laughs> get right. that piece of paper. Right. Um, and I was on academic probation uh, my first semester. Okay. So I'm coming out of the first semester at Georgetown, and I'm in my dean's office. Like, yeah. mind you, like, I, Dean Trelazio, that was my man's, because yeah. he knew, like, he, he knew I was struggling. Like, I come in there, like, I'm the hot shit. Like, I had, like, I graduated with honors automatically. Right. I'm like, I'm smart as hell. Like, right. I can do with Georgetown. Like, I'm good. <laughs> like, a 2.1 my first semester. And he's like, I'm like, yeah, I can't. I got an F in English, mm-hmm. like two, and I'm like, I thought I was a pretty good writer, <laughs> and I know I had to take my second yeah. uh, English credit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Dean, I'm not gonna lie, like, yeah. I'm not taking English. Okay. He's like, you gotta take English. I'm like, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm not doing it. Y'all gonna have to kick me out of school. I'm not taking another. Right. Like, my confidence can't take another <laughs> F. Like, I, I I know I'm a good writer. Like, right. I can't. If somebody give me another F, I'm gonna just give up. Yeah. Um. He's like, all right. He's flipping through all these things, trying to figure out what we're gonna do. And right. he finds some, some like clauses, like you can take an intro to women's studies class okay. as your English credit. Okay. And I'm like, yes, let's do that. <laughs> do that. I can do that. I can do that. Right. Uh, I go and rake my professor. Like I look at teacher and everything. I'm like that. Like right. that's cool. Right. Uh, and I walk in there the first day, and I convince Richard, who we both know. Yeah. Rich, he got hip to the job too. Like he was like, "I right, bet we're gonna do it together." So him and I in women's intro to women's and gender studies, okay. our second semester of freshman year, okay. where we're going in at first. And this is me being completely transparent, yeah. not like, "Oh, we're ready to be super feminist," but right. literally just like, "This is going to get this credit taken care of, and we're good." And right. there might be some girls in this class. We're gonna right. be, it's gonna be fire. Right. Uh, it was the, like the only two dudes in the class, like, and we in there. And it started off us. We were so immature at that time. And, like, as the semester went on, it stopped being less of a joke to me. Because I'm like, I'm 
learning more and more about the struggle of women, but I'm not thinking about it as, okay, I'm learning a feminist approach. I'm putting myself in its shoes. Like, this is a story of struggle. Right. Like, take women out of it. Like, yeah. people have been struggling across genders, across cultures, across time. And, like, what are we doing as a civilization, as a society to support people? Right. It just so happened that I entered into this this field through the intro to women's studies class. Right. And I was like, I came out of that first semester like, all right, my mom says C's get degrees. Um, I don't really know what I want to do, but I know I was interested the entire semester, mm-hmm. like learning this. Mm-hmm. Like I would read the the pre-reads. I would pay attention in class. I'm taking the notes. Mm-hmm. Like I'm writing the papers, but writing the papers, like not just, oh, let me get through this, but really right. like thinking, you know, right. and doing research and supporting it. And I was like, all right, let me take another one. And I took like feminist thought one. Mm-hmm. And... It was the same deal. Like I was like, damn, like, yeah. Yeah. like women be going through it. Yeah. Like, and I didn't come into it, and I think this is this is one thing that gets a misperception when people see that, oh, like you were women as gender studies major, like you must be this super like feminist and uh, all this. And I'm like, nah, that's not necessarily the case. Right. You know, um, obviously raised by a single mother, have tons of women that have supported me my entire life. Um, great women that most of my company now is women like I think naturally I've developed into a feminist but yeah. for me it was just I was inquisitive okay. I had to understand like as you can come from this place of privilege like even as a black man right. like with all these woes it's like damn like I feel like the world is against me as a black man the world is against me everything mm-hmm. is black man I'm the bottom of the toilet board, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. and then you start learning about not just the feminist movement you start learning about the workers rights movements mm-hmm. In China, mm-hmm. then you start learning the feminist movement didn't just start with Amber Rose. Mm-hmm. This started with suffrage, mm-hmm. like you know. And yeah. now moving into modern times, like things like you got the tampon tax, right? Like, but Viagra is like yeah. is not taxed. Like, when you yeah. see all these things, it's like you start to see all these inequalities across the board. Right. And I think to kind of take it back to like you said. In my childhood, mm-hmm. like I grew up with this mentality, just like that I had to keep going, I had mm-hmm. to keep pushing. Mm-hmm. But understanding that everybody doesn't necessarily have that mentality, mm-hmm. and it's up to society, it's up to groups like Good, it's up to governments to make sure that we're supporting all of our citizens. Right. Like we can't just leave it up to people and be like, "Oh, like here's the here's the cards you've been dealt, so figure it out." Right, right, like. That's naive to think. Right. Like it's up to us to make sure that like we're pushing, we're proud of and making sure that we create an equal playing field so that whether you're a woman, whether you're black, whether you're poor, mm-hmm. whether you're like a person with an intellectual disability, that you can compete. Yeah. Right. I was blessed to be able to be a little bit taller and run a little bit faster than everybody else mm-hmm. that put me in a position where I got to go to these elite universities right. and go to private schools right. and get, even now like thrust into the networks that I'm in to be able to know the likes of the Robert Smiths and the Mike Milkins yeah. and they know me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's all privilege. Yeah. Um, so I think being a women's and gender studies major helped me understand, even as a black man, the level of privilege that I have in this country. You consider yourself, I know you talked about doing service and being in service, um, but do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? Um, 
And if so, you know, what's your perception of that? What's your perspective of being an entrepreneur? How has it been for you personally? Uh, do I consider myself an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's less considering myself an entrepreneur and more understanding the space that I work in. You can't talk about helping people in a capitalist society if you're not talking about capital. I understand that this, the business argument that I bring to the philanthropic space, social impact space, is something that's been lacking, mm-hmm. which is why you see, like, let's look at 2018, you had $400 billion worth of investment into the nonprofit space. Mm-hmm. But everybody, you can clearly see wealth inequality across this country is widening. Um, poverty rates across the country continue to increase. You got millions of kids across the country that are going to sleep every night without eating. Mm-hmm. It's like you have all of this money coming into this space, but you have people that don't necessarily have the entrepreneurial mindset mm-hmm. that are kind of operating in the space, and you see a lot of waste. At the end of the day, with $400 billion, if you literally just cut a check for all the poor people, we could have solved the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> literally. Wow. So, But would I consider myself an entrepreneur? I say, yeah, in the best way possible. Um, I'm a man on a mission that's looking at this space and saying that it needs innovation. Philanthropy, social impact, it's the only multi-billion dollar industry in this country that's failing and has been failing for decades, mm-hmm. yet continues to get investment. Uh, so it needs a new way of thinking. Right. Just think if you were on Wall Street mm-hmm. and you were a big firm, we said, yeah, like yeah. we gave you $3 billion right. and you didn't give us an ROI. Like, you wouldn't be much of a firm anymore. Right. But philanthropy has kind of been able to operate um, kind of scot-free mm-hmm. on hope and, like, well wishes. Right. When you got people that are really suffering in this country, particularly children. Right. Um, that, that need people that are thinking innovatively, that are willing to do things that may not be sexy, but are going to mm-hmm. get the job done. Mm-hmm. And my last question for you, and we can get anything else. Um, you always have this like positive spirit, yeah, and very uplifting. And even hearing you speak at the Great Day event, like you just had such a great, great energy about you, great vibe. Thank you. Where does that stem from? Like, where do you get that from? Man, being poor as hell when I was young. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to think. Like, I'm 26 years old. Um, I have the ability to like, do amazing things literally every single day. Like I have the ability to be creative. I have the ability to, to impact the lives of people that I may know, that I may not know. Okay. Um, I'm in a blessed position personally um, to not be thinking about where my next meal is coming from or if I'm going to be able to pay my rent. Right. Um, right. My mother is in a relationship and she's happy. My brother just started his family in Atlanta um, and they're doing their thing down there. Yeah. Um, you started your, your video thing like, like, I'm the richest man in the world <laughs> and it has nothing to do with the amount of money in my bank account. Mm-hmm. Like, why wouldn't I walk around with a sense of joy? Right. <laughs> like, I've, I've had some lows, Tay, and you've been there with me. Um, for many of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the grace of God, um, 
I came out on the other side and can stand tall knowing that I'm stronger and that I'm better. Um, I walk around like with a sense of purpose, understanding that God put me here for a reason. Right. And when you see tragedies like what happened with Kobe Bryant this week, yeah. it's even more of a reminder why to have a spirit of joy. Because right. you never know when your number's going to get called. Yeah. Like, I just, life is a blessing. Mm-hmm. Life is truly a blessing. Um, it's truly, truly a blessing. Like even this morning, like I found joy, and it's a guy Dominic. He stands right outside of our building every morning, um, and I go and I get breakfast across the street, mm-hmm. and I find joy in the morning that Dominic is standing out there, and I get to buy him breakfast mm-hmm. because I'm not thinking of it as in. I wouldn't tell Dominic this, but yeah. I'm, I find, like, Dominic is is a human being. Like, I'm not like, oh, I'm so excited. Like, yeah. I get to buy Dominic breakfast. Like, I'm doing him such a favor. Yeah. Like, I find the joy. I'm completely detached from Dominic. I find the joy in being able to walk out of there after I bought Dominic breakfast and thank God. Like, thank you, God, for using me as a steward mm-hmm. of, like, your riches here on earth. Like, for me to have the ability to be able to do that for him. Yeah, yeah. Like, every gift, every talent yeah. um, that I have is not mine. It's the Lord's. Mm-hmm. So how do I not walk around with a spirit of joy yeah. knowing that God has found favor on me <laughs> in a way that he's blessed me right. with all of these things and things? Right. Like, how could I not think that I'm here for a reason that I have a purpose? And just even sit and talk about it, like, start smiling and be yeah. happy, you know what I mean? Like, it's all not the be happy walk around with joy yeah. uh, and it took me a long time to get there but yeah. golly I'm here and I'm firmly planted like yeah. my foundation is, is yeah. built on like stone right. <laughs> like, like I'm yeah it's truly a blessing so yeah. that's, that's really the foundation that's crazy and like one thing I did see um, was one of your, your your galas like your annual gala yeah and the first one, um, I think, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think somebody, like, donated, like, a million dollars. Yeah. Like, how did that feel, man? Like, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> I think it's just a testament to, uh, I think it's just a testament to uh, something that I saw, actually, Kobe. I was watching a video of his yesterday. Yeah. And he was talking about just do the work. He's like, don't worry. He's like, we get it mixed up. We feel like we got to go around telling everybody that we're doing the work, mm-hmm. uh, especially amongst this generation. Right, right. He said, but when you put your head down and you just do the work, like the right people will notice. Mm-hmm. All right. So for us, it's been four years of just doing the work, like to the point that I get shit sometimes. People like, you don't post anything that you're doing on your social media, but you're posting every day. Like, right, right, <laughs> they're, right. like yeah. they're like, where's the kids? Like, where's the programs? Where's he been in the office? Yeah. I'm like, oh, no, that stuff, like, yeah. oh, it's all good. Like, okay, you know. Like, yeah. um, but it's moments like that. Um, and to other people, him giving that million dollars is exciting. Right. To us, that's an operating budget. Mm-hmm. The more exciting thing is the call that I get from Saquon yesterday. Mm-hmm. Well, he's calling me saying, um, hey, I just moved into my first apartment with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm about to go to my my uh, 
uh, uh, interview on Wednesday. Uh, you know, I just wanted to let you know, like, so, so you know that I'm doing something. Da, da, da. Yeah. Like, that that brings me more joy than a million dollar check because that million dollars is an investment to create more Saquon. Right. You know, Saquon is a kid that uh, has been incarcerated since he was 15. Got shipped out to Arizona, escaped from Arizona, made his way back to D.C. Like, how the hell do you do that? Resourceful <laughs> little motherfucker. But, like, you know, and, I, and seeing his journey, so many people would have counted him out. Right. You know, so, of course, I found my, more joy in that. Like, money is money, but a human life, you can't replace that. Right, right. Um, see, but the million is very helpful. Yeah. Well, yeah. That was awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. So, any um, last words you'd like to say? I know um, this is a really hard time with the Kobe thing. Yeah. Um, that was still seems unreal. Um, but anything else you'd like to say about that or just about, you know, your story, your journey? No, I, I encourage anybody that's um, that's really thinking about that to, to check out goodpartners.org. Um, I wrote a beautiful piece um, called The Fear of Being Human mm-hmm. um, that just kind of talks about some of my thoughts around that and how – and the moments that things like this happen, yeah. um, especially somebody as significant as Kobe Bryant. Right. Uh, I think in many ways we all expect, when we first got the news, we expected him to be coming out of the ashes with Gigi in his arms because it's like, Kobe, yeah. he can't die. Like, right. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But it's just a, it's a subtle reminder. I think a lot of people are mourning. Um, most of us didn't know him, right. you know, but we're mourning because somebody like as prolific as Kobe died, like reminds us of our own humanity. Right. Um, and that's something that I've struggled with. Like, damn, I am going to die one day. Mm-hmm. It's all going to be over. Like, I can do all this work. I can grind. Right. You can go win five championships. But again, like, when your time, when God is like, you know, yeah. it's up. Like, it's yeah. up. Right, right. Um, but, you know, that means even more. We got to go after it every day. Um, yeah. We got to lead with love. Um, I'm I'm one of the ones that could see firsthand the last conversation that I had with my father we were arguing mm-hmm. um, and I walked away from him like like I'm not really feeling you right now and I never talked to him again mm-hmm. you know with a similar situation with Kobe and Gigi they going to a basketball game probably kissed Vanessa when they left the house mm-hmm. you know like use my story use the Kobe story as an example like never leave a loved one with malice in your heart Actually, never leave anybody no malice in your heart, because I promise you, it's never that serious. <laughs> like, it's never, never that serious. Even the person that does the worst thing in the world to you, um, we're called to have mercy. Like, so it's never that serious, and just treat every day like, not like it's your last, because I think that's kind of cryptic. But when you lay your head on the pillow. Every single night, know that you gave that day everything you had. Right. Not half of it, not you were saving it up right. for the next day or the next week, but like right. Right. you gave that day everything you had. I think Kobe was somebody that lived his life like that. Yeah. 